The Cape Flats is a vast, low-lying flat area that sits to the southeast of the city of Cape Town, a fair distance from the famed Table Mountain and a far cry from the pristine beaches and wine farms that make this city on the southern tip of Africa one of the most popular tourist destinations in the world. About 20 suburbs make up the Cape Flats, populated predominantly by black and colored communities, a term used to describe those of mixed heritage. Each suburb is marked by poverty, crime, drug abuse, gangsterism, and violence. Three people have been shot and killed and two others wounded in crossroads near Nyanga on the Cape Flats. The murder rate on the Cape Flats has escalated alarmingly. The territory wars to control drugs are believed to be behind the killings. Sadly, many bystanders, especially children, have been caught in the crossfire. In this episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy, we're in the Cape Flats suburb of Grassy Park, where a slew of recent killings has exposed the devastating consequences of territorial battles among the Cape's most dangerous gangs. For the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, I'm your host, Lindim Tongana. To start from the kind of broader city level, as anyone who spent any time in, in Cape Town knows, it's still a massively divided city, kind of socioeconomically and geographically and demographically, which is a legacy kind of really of the apartheid era. Much of the worst violence is concentrated in areas known as the Cape Flats, where communities who were not white were forced to relocate during the apartheid period. And that legacy still carries on today. This is Julia Stanyard, senior analyst on the Global Initiative's East and Southern Africa research team. In terms of Grassy Park specifically, it is historically not been one of the worst hit areas by violence. It's slightly closer to the city centre than some of the areas that have been worst hit. Because of that, it came slightly as more as a surprise to many that the violence has really spiralled there recently, because as an area, it has been perceived as a kind of relatively safer area than some, some parts which have been really affected by gang violence for a very long time. In the seven months between October 2021 and May 2022, 38 people were murdered in gang-related shootings in Grassy Park, an area of under 20 square kilometers. Julia, who are the primary victims of these murders? So a lot of these obviously will be primarily young men, in some cases very young men and boys who have been you know, brought into the gang and are the foot soldiers fighting really for control of that territory. But one of the things that we also you know, noticed while we were doing this monitoring of the recent spike in violence is that some of the people caught up in it are also, you know, passers-by, not connected to, to gang violence, you know, civilians in a sense, partly because these are often carried out as drive-by shootings, some people are caught in, caught in the crossfire. An otherwise cautious community now lives in fear. Gunshots and police sirens echo through the streets as rumours and reports of yet another tragic death circulate from house to house. Schools and children are being affected due to shootings in the area. Ordinary lives has been affected by loved ones that's been killed in gang crossfire. Children can't play outside as they want to due to the violence flaring up at any time. This is Lindsay Connolly, a community organiser in Grassy Park, who provides support to the families of victims of gang shootings. For Lindsay, 
Many of these murders are deeply personal and tragic. A young 17-year-old prominent soccer player in the area was fetching his mom from work at a local bus shelter, still carrying the bread and a few other items that they have just purchased. A car drove by and stopped. Two guys got out and started to shoot on this young man, while his mom begged him not to shoot him. He wasn't a gangster. The guys proceeded to shoot, ending in his life. Another heart-wrenching killing was that of five-year-old Scarlett, safely in a bungalow killed by a stray bullet. Her mom moved out. Little Scarlett's mom, Monique Cottle, and two friends were killed over the Easter weekend by a drive-by shooting that killed two innocent people. As a community organizer, Lindsay is able to collect data and information few others have access to, making her an extremely valuable asset for those wanting to understand trends in violence in the area. We do gang mapping and we map our area. And with that in place, we track hotspots. We're familiar with most gangs, turfs and territory. We're in our community daily. We're always liaising with victims of crime and suspects due to the fact that most of the suspects on the street are known to us. We have this information of killings and murders firsthand, and we are often found on crime scenes. Word spreads so quickly on the Cape Flats. Social media plays a big role in this. There's always a story to tell and a pic to follow. We follow up with most murders. We also offer much-needed support, assisting in the bereavement process. Waiting with families while mortuary van takes hours to collect the deceased. Again, we have built trust in our community and rely on first-hand, accurate information. Working with the Global Initiative, a clearer picture of where and why these murders are taking place is beginning to emerge. Here's Julia Staniard. So we mapped out two things and the first one being gang territories so you know speaking to people in the area and people who are have experienced the shifting dynamics between these gangs mapping out which gang controls which area and then we also mapped out um over a series of months where um murders and attempted murders have been taking place and you can see that there is a concentration of violence along the boundaries of gang territories. I think even I was surprised really by how clearly you can see that relationship. So these gangs are fighting for territory, and so those boundaries become flashpoints of violence. Julia, what did the research reveal about which gangs operate in Grassy Park? We really identified six main groupings, and the names of these gangs may not be familiar to listeners outside of South Africa, but, you know, those are gangs known as, like, the Americans, the Mongrels, the Junkie Funky Kids, there's the Six Bob, and their associated gang, the Young Gifted Six Bob as well, another gang called the Eurocats, and those were the kind of main ones that we saw in the Grassy Park area. And these gangs also have territory outside of that area as well, kind of across the city. But the largest in terms of absolute area controlled when we did this mapping was the Six Bob gang, which controlled quite a significant part of the Grassy Park area. So what then has been happening between these gangs in recent months to cause this spike in murders? I think what has really driven this spike is that one of these gangs that I named earlier has been really aggressively taking control of a lot of territory and has been kind of expanding, which obviously causes like displacement of other gangs. And, you know, they're fighting to retain that control of that territory and fighting back. So it's been that kind of one growth and expansion 
of this one gang that has triggered a lot of like retaliatory violence. The period in which the murders increased was during the COVID-19 pandemic. But as Lindsay Connolly explains, restrictions did little to curtail gang violence. In fact, quite the opposite. Due to ordinary citizens wearing masks, gangsters took full advantage of this opportunity, covering up their faces by doing illicit activities, killings, robberies, shooting, theft, hijacking. And they can't be identified behind those masks. The pandemic wasn't a deterrent for gang violence as it continued as normal. Lindsay, is there a sense that police are responding to these high levels of crime? In my experience, the response of the police is satisfactory. Crime scenes are being attended to and crime scenes are secured. A negative impact is the linkage to all these crimes, as witnesses that are refusing or too scared to give statements in order to prosecute the perpetrator. Although 80% of the time there has been a good success rate with the murders, the community doesn't work well with the police as most of the perpetrators is known to the police and the community. But due to the lack of statements, police can't prosecute or arrest the persons responsible. In an area where this much insecurity, the relationship with the community has been strained in parts. And, you know, we have reports of some incidents where like police cars, for example, have been attacked with stones by members of the community because, you know, they're perceived as you know, either corrupt or ineffective, or there's kind of so much mistrust. That's not unique to not unique to that area, but it's something that if you've got a flare-up of violence like this, the ability to get people to come forward is essential for any kind of prosecution. So that's a real barrier. Julia, in spite of the mistrust between police and communities, surely law enforcement must be looking at a broad approach in addressing gangsterism and violence in the Cape Flats. The law enforcement that are based in the local area, they've also been joined by other specialised units that have come in specifically to deal with the increase in gang violence. So there's an anti-gang unit, for example, which is specialised in anti-gang operations. And there's other officers from something known as the LEAP unit, which is a law enforcement advancement programme reaction unit, which was created earlier this year, which is a new force, which has also been deployed to areas where gang violence is seen seen as most acute. So they have attempted to respond by bringing in this more specialised expertise. But as I mentioned, we've been continuing this monitoring and violence has continued at a more stable but still very high rate, even despite these more specialised units coming in. And how effective could legislation be, like the Prevention of Organised Crime Act, in bringing to book some of the Cape's most violent gangs? So this is yeah, specialised legislation that was brought in a few years ago in South Africa. And the police in Grassy Park actually, over a few months ago, told members of the community in like a public meeting that they were aiming to use this legislation more. But also at the same time, they acknowledged that prosecuting under this legislation does bring its own challenges. Because instead of prosecuting, say, a murder, for example, as it would be under a common law offence, you also have to prove that it was related to organised crime and getting that kind of evidence and you know proving that is in itself quite difficult. And we see similar challenges in other jurisdictions when they're trying to use this kind of legislation. Obviously, on the face of it, it seems logical that you'd want to be able to prosecute people for being a member of an organised crime group and the additional harm that goes along with that. But it is also another layer of evidence that the prosecution needs to bring. 
which is a bit of a challenge. There are also sometimes calls for radical action, such as the deployment of the army. Do you think this is too drastic a measure? The deployment of military has been seen in areas of Cape Town periodically over several years previously. And clearly, as we're having this discussion now, that hasn't brought down the, the larger issue about gang violence and it doesn't deal with some of the underlying like more systemic issues. You know, as I was saying before about witness protection, that's about building up a, a kind of broader like institutional system that can protect people who want to come forward and protect anyone who will assist in a prosecution. And that is a kind of longer term, more complex, less tangible work than doing something like deploying troops, but will have more of an effect in terms of building trust with communities, in in my view. It is a complex problem and one that requires a gamut of interventions to effectively address. Julia, where would you start? It ranges from everything, I think, from stemming flows of illicit firearms to these gangs, which allows them to enact the sort of violence that we've seen and to be more deadly whilst doing so. Like we've seen gangs in, in South Africa become much, much more well-armed over recent years. And some of these Firearms have come from state sources, from police, where they've been stolen or lost from police or military sources. As for community organisers like Lindsay, the agonising work of rushing to crime scenes and waiting in hospital wards, police stations and courtrooms continues, splitting her time and energy with the families of the deceased and ex-convicts wishing to make amends. I've seen our lives was affected daily and how this has become a fatherless generation. I think differently now. I realized a long time ago that life is precious. Every minute counts. I believe every life matters. I believe in chances. I make sure that my time spent on the street, especially with high-risk men, women and children, was spent positively, as we never know if that's our last encounter. Working directly with people living in communities deeply affected by gangsterism, the Global Initiative's research shows that understanding exactly where gang-related murders take place could help policymakers and authorities better understand the reasons why they happen at all and ultimately save lives. That's where we leave it for today's episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. A big thank you to my guests, Julia Staniard from the GI's East and Southern Africa Observatory and community organizer and field researcher for the GI's Cape Town office, Lindsay Connolly. If you'd like to find out more about Grassy Park and gang trends on the Cape Flats, visit globalinitiative.net. There you'll also find a host of reports and research into various areas of organized crime in Africa and beyond. It is goodbye from me, Lindim Tongana, in what is my last episode as host of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy. It has been a unique honor to host this show and engage with the brilliant minds and impactful research of the Global Initiative. And what would it all be without our faithful audience? So, from wherever you are in the world, thanks as always. For listening. Goodbye.